Anyone been to Spring Harvest? Anyone been to New Wine? Anybody not been to a Christian convention of some sort? One person, okay? Two people, three. Okay, so the majority of you have been to some sort of big Christian gathering. And that's really good. When we go to those things, we usually go full of faith, don't we? We go believing that we're going to see God do something. We're going to hear God. We're going to experience God maybe in a new way. And that's why when we go to these things full of faith, whether it's Soul Survivor or New Wine or some such convention, we often see the Holy Spirit move and we often see God break through in powerful ways. Isn't that true? Yeah? That mentality is an Old Testament mentality. That mentality is an Old Testament mentality. At the Garden of Eden, it says that God walked with man in the cool of the day. When God made man and woman, he created a world where there was an experience and revelation of God, but it was very much what you would call a visitation. It was about God visiting man. Okay? God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. So the experience of God and the presence of God was in that form of God visiting. What does the New Testament say? The New Testament is better. It's built on better promises. It's built built on a better covenant because it's built upon Jesus. Amen? Amen? Okay? He is the beginning and he is the end. And it's better than anything that you can read about in the Old Testament. Because it's not about visitation anymore, it's about habitation. It's my beautiful Johnny Rose here. Come here. Okay. I, I pick him because he's very forgiving. See, look. Right, look at Johnny. Look at Johnny, okay? So, as you can see, I've made this in the likeness of Johnny. I know it says no graven image, but we're free from the law. Okay, sit down, bro. So there's my Johnny Rose, okay? Beautiful Johnny Rose. Yeah? So, the Old Testament was about God came alongside people. The new covenant is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you not know that your body, your body... I see she sat that side. She learned last time, didn't she? Your body... Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Do we believe that? So we're not dwelling in a visitation culture anymore. We've got something better. We've got a habitation culture because we have the fiery spirit of God. Can you feel the heat? Can you feel the power? For goodness sake, say yes, or I'll be here all day. Thank you. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The mystery of the gospel is that now we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And when that word hope is used in the New Testament and Paul's writings, that's not like we use hope today, or I hope that I will get a Lamborghini for my birthday, or I hope my husband will be better in a few years' time. It's about a reality, a sure reality So when it talks about the Holy Spirit being in us, it's meant to be a sure reality. Something that's known and experienced. 
But the New Testament gives us an even greater covenant and an even greater saviour because it says that we are in the most colourful person in the universe. Isn't that colourful? You're you're learning. Just say yes to everything, will you? Okay. We are placed in Christ. We are placed in Christ. Hands up if you've been baptised. Praise the Lord. Baptism is not just about obedience. It's way deeper than that. Baptism is a picture, a picture of a spiritual truth that you are in Christ. You are in Christ. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. If the answer isn't yes, it's Jesus. Okay? So what does God see you in when he looks at you? Brilliant, okay. And that means when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees the white righteousness of Christ. I'm not talking about ethnic whiteness, I'm talking about holy whiteness, which is completely different. The righteousness of Christ. So when he looks at you, he sees you in Jesus and he sees you as holy. And that's what part of what predestination is all about. You have been predestined to be holy and blameless in Jesus, and when God looks at you right now, that's what he sees. That means that new wine and spring harvest is here this morning. Because the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. Because we don't need to beg him to come because he's in us. And when you all put your hand on the top of your head. All put your hand on your belly button. Okay? No, no, try and keep your hand. Sister, try and work with me. Okay? That's it. Brilliant. Okay. Right now, shut your eyes. Just shut your eyes. Somewhere between those two fixed objects that you can feel with your hand on your body, somewhere between those two points, if you love the Lord Jesus this morning, is the third person of the Godhead. And he is called the Holy Spirit. And he is in there whether you feel it right now or not. Because our faith is not based upon feelings. It's based upon the truth of what God says about himself. So I want to encourage you this morning, we've had a great time, the Holy Spirit is moving because he's here with us and he's in us, please God, there's more to come. Okay, so that's the uh, introduction, we've all got the Holy Spirit here with us, we're all full of that, that's lovely. Jesus, Jesus modelled a way of life that we are meant to following. Amen? Everything that Jesus did, he did as a model for us to step into as his people. Jesus said, and he didn't say it with a wink in his eye thinking, oh, they'll never be able to cope with this. Jesus said, and you will do even greater things than me. Was he lying? So, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, the same power that moved Jesus. And that means that as a child of God, whether you're 15, whether you're 55, or whether you're 85, you still have the capacity to do greater things than Jesus. That is what God has called you to be. That is part of your inheritance this morning. And that is irrelevant about what you think about yourself on how good a week you've had or how bad a week you've had. God's heart and his desire for you is to take you into that place where you are moving in the same energy and power 
as the Lord Jesus. The disciples walked with Jesus for three years. They watched him. They watched him. They watched him. They scrutinized him. We forget that when we read the Gospels, and we should read the Gospels, because how can you be Christ-like if you don't know what Christ is like? Do you like that statement? How can you be Christ-like if you don't know what Christ is like? That's one of mine. I didn't get that from a book. That's one of mine. It's copyrighted, so you can't use it. Because when God made man at the beginning, it says he made God, he made man in the image of God. Hey, eh? Isn't that right? That is the primary purpose of every human being that's been created. Originally, the idea was that the human race should be a picture of what God is like. He made Adam and Eve in the image of God. Do you know what? Even though there's been a fall, even though there's been thousands of years of corruption through sin and all the effects of sin, through fear and through religion and the the deforming effects that all those things have on people's lives, the primary purpose of God is still to have something on this planet that reproduces the image of God. And that is the other great thing about the gospel, that Christ in you means that you get to become like Christ because God is still interested in that primary purpose, that he wants his people to be like him and he wants his people to be like Jesus. Amen? So that's our vision, that's our destiny, that's what our inheritance is. This is what God is calling us to be, to be filled and moved and energised by his Holy Spirit and to become like Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that's good news, isn't it? Because what the people of Causton need and Tunbridge Wells is not people ramming gospel tracts down their throat. They don't need people dragging them off to church. They need to see people who actually look like Jesus. Because that's more a powerful witness than any blooming meeting that you can drag them to. They need to see Jesus alive and well and living in you and through you. And that's possible for every single one of us. Because you don't need a theology degree, you don't need Bible school. All those things are good, I'm not knocking them. But the truth of the gospel is the greatest truths in the gospel are hidden in plain sight. And the greatest truths of the gospel are simple. They're simple. Because if they weren't, people like me wouldn't be up here telling people more educated than me down there the truth of the gospel. And that's a paradox. And the Bible is full of them. So the disciples watch Jesus day in, day out. And when you read the gospels, you realise that what we've got is like the match of the day edited highlights. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Bless the bed that I lay on. Those gospels give us the edited highlights. Have you ever thought what percentage of the three years the disciples spent with Jesus, what percentage of that is recorded in the gospels? There were hours, hours when they were just walking from town to town. It's not recorded what happened. There were hours when they were just sitting around, eating, waiting food to be prepared, help clearing up, hours and hours and hours. There were hours when they would be getting ready for bed, they'd be doing their ablutions, they'd be curling up and getting to sleep close to each other with all the things that go on when a group of men are trying to get to sleep together, you know, one o'clock in the morning and Peter's digging John in the elbow and said, for goodness sake, somebody go and slap Thomas around there and he's snoring again. All that stuff, all that stuff. 
And they saw that and they saw Jesus in every area of life and humanity. And it was so powerful what they saw that all the terrifying things that Jesus did, the beauty and the loveliness of what they saw in Jesus were so powerful and strong that the terrifying things that Jesus did, they could cope with. Because Jesus did things that absolutely scared the living daylights out of them. He was constantly headbutting the religious system that they had grown up in. Every time he came against the leaders of, of Israel, there was a possibility of them all of them being excommunicated. And that made you a social leper if you got kicked out of the synagogue. But because of what Jesus was and what they saw pictured in Jesus, they kept on going, they kept on going. And then there was this realisation was, where did he get this power from? Where did he go to become this amazing man? Because when you read the Gospels, especially if you read the Gospel of John, which is the most intimate of all the Gospels, you see them after the marriage feast at Cana, they're believing. And then a bit later on you hear them believing. And you get to the upper room and they're believing. And you get to the resurrection and they're believing. So the whole process is a process of believing. But what they're seeing is there's something about Jesus that is wonderful. Even though they don't fully, 100% believe everything that he is meant to be until after the cross and resurrection, they're seeing something and they want to know what it is that makes him different. And if there is one thing that made Jesus different, it was his relationship with the Father. They watched him day after day get up early in the morning before the sun had come up and go out to a lonely place to pray. It said Jesus frequently went out to lonely places to pray. To choose the apostles, he spent a night in prayer. He modelled this new covenant relationship with God through his prayer life. Let's read what Jesus says about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. This is Jesus speaking. But when you pray, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, secret, secret will reward you. Right away, there's a promise there. Right away, there is a promise from the mouth of Jesus that if we take time to spend time alone with God, what will we get? A reward. A A promise from God that if you spend time alone with him, you will be rewarded. If we don't spend time with God, conversely, we won't get rewarded. It's not that God works on a reward system. He's just encouraging us that if we spend time alone with him, then we're going to get blessed. Jesus goes on to teach the disciples. They say, Lord, we see you modelling this. We see you doing this. Now teach us to pray. And then he gives us a prayer, a model prayer. What is the first thing that is said in the modelled prayer? Our Father. And the reason why we need to spend time alone with God is because if there is ever a time in the, in the history of our society in the West when this whole idea of fatherhood should be pure and holy 
and renewed and beautiful. It's this whole aspect of fatherhood. Jesus had absolutely no doubt about his relationship with his heavenly father. Why? Because it was cemented in the place of solitude and prayer and being alone with his father. Do you know what? The deepest wound that any man carries is the wound put there by his own father. I'll say that again. The deepest wound that any man carries is the wound put there by his own father. And that's not necessarily aggressive, proactive abuse. That can be neglect. That can be uh, negative stuff spoken into him. There can be a whole load of reasons why men are scarred by the things their fathers have done and said to them. And in the 33 years that I've been ministering in the Holy Spirit, again and again, I've seen it again and again. Many men do not experience the joy and the the power of the Holy Spirit because they have a warped and twisted view of what their Heavenly Father is like because their Heavenly Father's view is based upon how their earthly father treated them. But right at the beginning of this relationship with God and a prayer relationship with God, Jesus is modelling this thing that God is our Father. And he goes on to say, and says about, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, what sort of Father do we have in heaven? Perfect. A perfect Father. A perfect Father. Johnny, up you come. The next time I preach, he's going to pull a sickie. <laughs> he won't be here. Okay, so, perfect Father. What do perfect fathers do? You're looking really beautiful today. Oh, thank you. You're looking gorgeous. Are you at the gym? You're working at the gym regularly? Absolutely, yep. Marvellous. You're really beautiful, yeah? You're really clever. I'm really proud of you. Come and sit, come and sit here with me. Now, don't get a chair. Come and sit with Daddy. Come and sit with Daddy. Okay, so have you had a good week? It, it's, it's got worse very quickly. It's got worse. <laughs> okay, tell... How's it got worse? Tell Daddy how it's got worse. No, no, it, it's brilliant. It's good. Yeah. I love you. You're my boy. I'm really proud love of you. you too. Come here. <laughs> okay, sit down. You laugh. You laugh. It's the truth, brothers and sisters. And the way God feels about you is not dependent upon your performance. Because the God of Abraham and Isaac, of Elijah and Elisha, of Habakkuk, of Zephaniah, of Zerubbabel, of Jesus, of Peter and James and John is immutable. That is a big word and that means it's impossible for God to change. So that means if you are in Christ, and I think most of us in this room are in Christ this morning, you're in a place of relationship with a father where he sees you in his son and he loves you with the same passion and intensity that he loves the Lord Jesus. And you need to see that in your spirit. I can spend four hours preaching on that verse alone and it will do you no good at all. This has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. You have to get this sorted out in your own life Yeah, you can have counselling, you can have ministry, you can have me pray for you, and God can use those things. 
But ultimately, who is responsible for your relationship with God? It's just you, brothers and sisters. Mark and Jill, it's not down to them. It's down to you. So I encourage you to go to that place. Start praying and talking to your Heavenly Father. And when you go and speak to your Heavenly Father, go and speak to him the way Adam spoke to him. When Adam went and spoke to his Heavenly Father, what was he dressed in? Nothing. Nothing. Which meant he was... Okay? Okay? That won't come out in the recording, will it? So I can't be any, get into trouble for that. My wife said, don't say anything rude. So I just made signs, okay? So you could see all Adam and Eve's... They went naked. They went naked into the presence of God. And they went vulnerable into the presence of God. God could see who they really are. When you go and spend time with your Heavenly Father, don't go with a shopping list. Don't go and say things that you think he wants to hear. Go in absolute nakedness, absolute vulnerability, and share with your Heavenly Father what is really going on in your life. Years ago, I spoke to a pastor about this. And he he sort of came back at me, oh, no, no, you need to honour God, and you need to reverence God. And Do you know what? When I read my New Testament, I read this. The perfect love casts out fear. You don't need to be afraid of your Heavenly Father under the New Testament because he looks upon you the way he looks upon Jesus. So you can go and you can tell him exactly how you're feeling, whether you're feeling up there, whether you're feeling down there, whether you're feeling elated or whether you're feeling rejected, whether you're enjoying church or whether going to church is like going to the dentist and having your teeth pulled through your ear hole. You know? God wants the truth because he is the truth. He wants the reality because he is the reality. We need to go and be open and honest with God. I'll tell you, there have been times in my life I've broken Bibles. I have got so angry with God at times, I've thrown my Bible at him. And I missed him. How can you miss somebody that big? And broken Bibles. You are not going to say anything that's going to shock him. You are not going to say anything that he's never heard before. But he does need you to be honest about where you're at and what's going on in your life. So we go to our Father who loves us. And then when we do that, we experience the thing that our Heavenly Father most wants to give us, and that is his peace. The Jewish word for peace is shalom. And that word is not just the opposite of war or Peace, war and peace, you know, the famous book. They're not the opposites. It means total wholeness. It means total wholeness. It means things that were broken being put back together. It means pain that has lingered in your life for, for decades, maybe for years. In that place, your father can reach into your heart and actually deal with those things and take them out and make you whole. That is the peace that God offers offers us when we go and spend time alone with him and we are naked and vulnerable before him and actually pour out our hearts. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Have you ever, ever read some of his psalms? Some of them are disgusting. 
Some of them are absolutely disgusting. We're in a society now where people are queuing up to be offended. I'm surprised no one's put in a thing to the Archbishop of Canterbury about how offensive the Psalms are. Have you read what he, he wants to do to the, the children of his enemies? Have you read that? It's horrific. It's, it's like, oh, it's horrible. He was a man after God's own heart because he went into the presence of God and shared his heart with God, even when it was rotten and it stank. And when God sorted it out, sorted it out, then God could share his heart with David. And what we've got in the New Testament is even greater than that. When we go into the presence of God and share our heart with him, no matter how rotten or bad it is, he comes in, he renews it, he heals us, he pats us on the back and he sends us out so that we can have that same ministry outside to people who've got broken hearts. When Jesus stood up in the, in the um, synagogue, okay, a bit, a bit controversial now, there is one thing that Jesus promised to heal. What's that? Who said that? Excellent child. I commend your father on his teaching of the word of God to you. The one thing that Jesus promised, he got up in the synagogue and read from Isaiah 61, and he says, I have come to heal the broken hearts. And this morning, if your heart is broken, get into the presence of God with your heart, and he will come and heal it, and you will know the peace of God which transcends all understanding. And that's what it says in Philippians, that when we go into the presence of God and we share our hearts with him and we thank him and we praise him and we overflow with thankfulness and make our requests known to him, he will fill our hearts and our minds with the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Amen? Amen. Don't just say amen. Go home and do it. Okay, so we pray to our Father, but we pray to the Lord Jesus. We pray to the Lord Jesus. So we have our Father and we have our Saviour. And what is the most amazing thing about the Lord Jesus? When the apostles and the disciples walked with him, there is no doubt about it that the thing that most amazed them about the Lord Jesus is how he loved people. How he loved people. Do you realise if Jesus was walking around today, there'd be a restraining order on him? Do you know why? Because he loved people. (laughs) yeah he loved people yeah he loved people he loved men yeah he loved his disciples when Jesus was betrayed how was he betrayed kiss do you know what our churches need to be famous as kissing churches do you know what there are more verses in the Bible about the holy kiss in the New Testament there is than that than some doctrines that we get our knickers in a knot over You read how many times Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And Jesus didn't just love men with powerful calves and thighs. Now you're going to wish you sat at the back now. He loved women. You know? He could be with women and touch women and let women touch him without the S word getting in the way. We're getting in a society now where the barriers... This is just so... I'll show you how clever the devil is. In in the... in the world's desire to raise and elevate women with worldly feminism, it's actually creating a greater divide between men and women. And that's what worldly feminism does. The Holy Spirit feminism that we want in the church actually brings men and women together because we're all one in Christ Jesus. There is no difference between black or white June or Gentile. I'm part Jewish, so I can call him a Gentile dog. Okay? So, yeah? Or man and woman. 
okay? Man or woman. There is no difference. We are all one in Christ Jesus. It's the same anointing. To say your anointing is based on your gender is ridiculous. That the Holy Spirit has some weird special thing that men do and some weird special thing that women do. God has called men to be leaders and women to be leaders. The Old Testament shows us that with people like Deborah. Spiritual warriors. We need women who are spiritual warriors. You read the story of Deborah. What did Jael do? Who can tell me what Jael did? Excellent sister. She hammered the enemies of God leaders skull to the floor with a tent peg. (laughs) Read it. It's true. So Jesus loved people and what we need to do is when we get into the presence of God is we need to get to that point where God doesn't just touch us, we experience God's love for ourselves. Do you know that this book that we are meant to have faith in, that we're meant to believe in, okay, we're meant to know inside out, back to front, standing on our heads, this book is useless, is absolutely useless if all you're doing is cramming your head with it. Because the devil knows the Bible better than most of us in this room. Doesn't do him any good, does it? There has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to take the word of God and make it reality in your life. And the greatest reality about Jesus, who was the living word, the first word that we come into contact with is not meant to be a book, it's meant to be a person. The beginning of John says, in the beginning, in the beginning is the word. He is the word we're meant to experience first and foremost. Then the written word, then the prophetic word. There are three words in the word of God. Jesus the person, the Bible and the prophetic word. Because God knows your future now even though you can't see it. So we need to get into that place where we experience God's love and be transformed by it. Because what does love do? Love, love changes everything. I knew somebody would laugh at that. Love changes everything. And the love of God is meant to transform us. And in the presence of God, we are meant to experience God. And you don't need to go to Spring Harvest or New Wine or whatever your Christian convention you have as vineyard people is. You can experience that alone with God in your bedroom at any time you like. I'm not here to boast about myself, but I will tell you this. Through having Crohn's disease for nearly 40 years... One of the things that has done is it completely stripped me of all the macho garbage that got pushed into me through the, being in the parachute regiment and society. And it brought me to a place of brokenness again and again and again where the only place I could go to find solace and refuge after I found that in the wife of my new wife, which currently is my Margaret sat over there, is in the presence of God, in the arms of my Father, in the arms of Jesus. It may not sound very macho, but that's the only place where you'll find real, true love. My wife loves me to bits. She's a very lucky lady. My daughters, I'm very blessed. I've got three daughters, three beautiful daughters, and they love me to bits. But compared to the love of Jesus, we're talking about something that is... Beyond even my mind can understand. But when you get alone with God, the Holy Spirit can bring Jesus to you in such a real way that you can actually physically almost feel things like this. 
This book is full of people who experienced God. Abraham, all the way through to John on the Isle of Patmos. They experienced God. We are meant to be experiencing God. And we're not a visitation culture. We're a habitation culture. You don't need to go. You don't need to go to a special convention. You just need to get alone with God and get down on your knees. And if he doesn't come initially, he will come eventually. You keep going. You keep going. And the day will come that heaven breaks through. We're waiting for an event in the kingdom of God. We Christians are waiting for an event. We're waiting for a revival. It may never come. The revival is meant to start in here. The presence and the fire and the power of God is meant to be known in here before it's known out there. If our churches got filled with 50% who knew and experienced the Holy Spirit and its fire, the revival would start. You wouldn't be able to stop it. But we're waiting for God to do something. He's already done it and it's in you. Sorry, I got a bit excited there. I'm running out of time. Holy mackerel. Okay, so the final thing. Jesus is our lover and we are the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. Holy Spirit. Finally, talk about the Holy Spirit. So, we've just finished a decade of our lives going to Africa. Our daughter is back from Africa. Praise God. That's no offence to Africa or Africans. It's just, it's... It's tough out there. It's a real tough life. And I'm just glad she's back and she's out of it. But the first time I went to Africa, I was called to run a conference uh, with a hill tribe, the Ungu, a village called Ndoli. And they were, they were sending word out to surrounding villages. And people were going to come in for this conference, walk in miles and miles to come and listen to me. Bless them. And uh, we got there on a Sunday night. And it had been arranged that I was going to do this conference through the week. And in the best of African traditions, it all went right out the window. So Monday morning, I was supposed to get up and start the conference. So they said, we don't want you to start the conference until the bishop has come. And when they said bishop, they didn't mean a bishop like that. They meant just mainly the apostle who looked over after all the churches in the villages around. And when's he coming? Oh, he might come tonight. That's so African. He might come tonight. Well, he didn't come Monday night. He turned up Tuesday night in the small hours of the morning. So Margaret and I spent Monday and Tuesday just wandering around the village, saying hello to people, meeting people. So anyway, we got up Wednesday morning and they said, OK, start the conference. We've seen the, we've seen the bishop. Start the conference. Oh, by the way, though, we want you to put the same content of the week into the remaining Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and the final, final morning. So I run on 50% of the energy of most men my age. So basically what I did was I did two sessions in the morning and one session in the afternoon. If you ever preached in an African church, you will know they feel short-changed if you don't preach for at least an hour. And they told me that. That wasn't just a whitey making it up. They basically said, you need to speak for an hour. You've come all this way and they will feel robbed if you don't. The other thing about African churches, when you ask, does anybody want prayer, it's like... Step back or you'll be killed in the stampede. <laughs> so the preach would go on for about an hour and the ministry time would be an hour and a half. I did that all day Wednesday. Oh, and at night time in the village, just across the road from where we were sleeping in the pastor's hut, there was the community area where they had Nigerian telly blazing out till three or four in the morning. 
We were in a small room that was infested with cockroaches and various creepy crawlies and rats, which made sleeping virtually impossible. Anybody ever watched a Nigerian film? Yes, you have. Yeah, I'll pray for you later, brother. (laughs) Crazy, some amazing films. Uh, It got to Sunday morning, and when I say I was exhausted, the word exhausted does not emphasise how exhausted I was. I got up, and I used to go up onto the side of the hill, up onto the mountain, and I would go up and pray. And that Sunday morning came, and the night before, the pastors said to me, So Sunday mornings preach, we want even longer, and we want it to be even more amazing, and we want it to be even more powerful. I thought, no pressure. And I went up on the side of that hill, and I just sat down there, and I said to the Lord, I've got nothing left. I am just wrung out. I've got absolutely nothing left. I've had sleep deprivation. I've been ministering solid for four and a half days. And I said, Lord, I've got nothing left. And I just... I whined and whined for about five minutes. And I started crying and I was weeping. When the Holy Spirit comes, he usually comes suddenly. He doesn't creep up on you. You know, it's not like... It's literally... (laughs) That woke you up, didn't it? And that's what happened on the side of that hill. The Holy Spirit came suddenly... And he replaced my tears with joy. And some of you may have had this when the Holy Spirit just floods you with his joy. And I tell you what, man, I started laughing. It's like I'd had the funniest joke. It's like I'd watched all the episodes of 40 Towers in three seconds. I started laughing and laughing. I've never laughed so much in all my life. And after five minutes, I was begging the Holy Spirit to take it away. Because my ribs, I thought, were going to pop out of my skin. And I thought, if one of the villagers walks by, they're going to think the Mzungu or the Kawaja has gone completely bonkers. And the Holy Spirit just kept pouring that joy into me. You know, we live in a world, and I'm not, uh, I'm not getting anybody, if you're, on, if you're on the happy pills, I'm not condemning anybody or making you feel bad. But you know what? One of the things that most scared me recently was last year on the BBC website, they said, it must be true, it was on the BBC website, in the United Kingdom alone, 10.5 million prescriptions for antidepressants were given out. I'm not judging or condemning you if you're on those, I'm just telling you, okay? The Holy Spirit, the nature of God, is love joy and peace. What does that mean? That the people of God has the, the people of God and the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus and the person of the Father have the antidote, antidote to the majority of those prescriptions. We've got the answer, brothers and sisters. The pharmaceutical companies haven't got the answer. We've got the answer because it's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you in the Holy Spirit this morning not to throw, go home and throw your medication down the toilet. I'm not telling you to do that. But I'm telling you to do this. Get alone with God. Tell him all the things that are depressing you. Tell him all the things that are burdening you. Get them out. And ask him to fill you with your joy. And keep on asking. Because he will come. Though he linger, wait for it. He will surely come.
Because the character of God is love. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. And he can fill you with those things. And when he fills you with those things, that gives you the ability to go out and share that with other people. Not in a heavy-handed, condemnatory way, but in a loving way. Okay? Because God wants to heal his people. Okay? He wants to heal broken hearts. He wants you to know how special you are. He wants you to know how wonderful you are, irrespective of what's been fed to you through your life. And he wants to make you whole and make you like Jesus so that you can go out and share Jesus with people and that they can see Jesus manifest in your life and be drawn into the kingdom of God. That's the greatest tool for evangelism there is. Another believer burning with the presence of God in their heart. No guilt, no condemnation. Just go. Just go and be yourself in the presence of God and let him do his work. Yeah, go to conferences. Yeah, get prayer. Get ministry. I'm going to have some in a, ministry, in a minute. But it's only the beginning. It's not the beginning and the end. It's only the beginning. Amen? Amen. Okay. Let's be quiet for a minute. Lord, outside the weather is changing. Outside it's getting gloomy. The truth is, in the kingdom we are not dependent upon what's going on outside. We are dependent upon you, Holy Spirit, and you're in us. And Lord, you know what a year I've had, and I've struggled with that. But I thank you for the truth that you are in me, your love and your joy and your peace. I pray, you know every person here, Lord. You know they're weak. You know what they've gone through. You even know what they've gone through this morning. And the truth is, you are the unchanging one. And you want us to get into that place with you where we become unchanging. Not in a recalcitrant, bigoted way, but unchanging in that whatever is thrown against us, it does not rock our love and our joy and our peace because those things are internal. Those things are in us. You are in us, so they cannot be shaken. Holy Spirit, you love every man and woman in this place. Oh Lord, you love them so much. Lord, I pray that you would reveal that love to their hearts. Some of them have heard how much Jesus loves them since they were children. And yet their experience of that has not always been good and has not been very consistent at times. But you are the consistent one. Holy Spirit, just come and reveal your love to people in this room. You've said at the end times that people will have visions. I pray that there be people in this room that have visions of your love. You've said in the end times that uh, the, the women of God will have visions and dreams. And I pray some of the sisters will have visions and dreams as well as the men. And I pray, Lord, that the people in this church would experience your kiss, your embrace, because you are a God who embraces his children. Lord Jesus, you are a saviour who embraced his disciples and embraced little children. Holy Spirit, just come and make the love of God a reality in every life here, every head that's bowed. Make that a reality in their hearts, Lord. And as you do that, bring healing, bring wholeness, bring freedom, Bring freedom, bring freedom. 
Because it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. In the name of Jesus, please. Amen.